Let's turn together to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5. Luke 5, and we'll be looking at verse 33 and following. A farmer named Herman Ostry uh, had a problem on his hands. His barn uh, in Bruno, Nebraska was under 29 inches of water because of a rising creek. Some of you may have experienced that who were raised on the farm. And so Herman invited a few friends over for what you might call a barn raising. He needed to move his entire 17,000-pound barn to a new foundation that was, uh, he calculated, 143 feet away. So his son Mike devised a latticework of steel tubing, and he bolted it to all four sides of the barn, both on the inside and the outside, about two feet above the ground, or three feet or so. And then he welded hundreds of handles, as, uh, and his, his friends helped him all the way around on the, uh, the tubing, both the inside and the outside. And after one practice lift, 344 volunteers slowly walked the barn up the slight incline uh, to its destination. They were lined all the way around on the inside and the outside. It was a huge lift, but each one of them had the support, he calculated, less than 50 pounds. And in no time at all, it was on a new foundation and had a whole new beginning. It's called teamwork. It's like a poster I had in my last church. It was a picture of seven men rowing a skiff. They were in a race up a river. And on top of the poster, it says teamwork. And then at the bottom of the poster, it says the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. I love that. We're just plain ordinary people, aren't we? P.O.P.s, as someone said. Plain ordinary people. But but plain ordinary people like you and me can do extraordinary things when we work together. If ever there was a time in the history of this congregation when we needed some uncommon results, that time is now. If ever there was a time when people need to, you know, stop standing at a distance in judgment or just sitting and soaking and waiting to see what's going to be happening and to see if it's according to their liking, that time is now. If ever there was a time when people need to start becoming a part of the solution, it's now. And a good part of that solution is here uh, in Luke chapter 5, where Christ shows us one of the most powerful ways, if not the most powerful way, for a congregation to achieve uncommon results in verse 33 when he says, Can you make the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. The picture you see up there on the screens comes directly from Scripture, as we're going to see in a bit. It's what you can become individually, and even more, what we can become congregationally. It can take us to a new beginning. We're going to be addressing last year's controversy uh, in the weeks to come. We'll be seeking to put it behind us and to move on. You'll need to hear from God in your, report, in your response to my report on the controversy, which will be coming in a few weeks. And you'll need to hear from God in your response to what you'll hear from session 
two weeks from today, on October 20th, when in all three services they will address their role in the controversy. We'll need to hear from God throughout uh, the transitional process as we seek to discover who we are and what he wants us to be. And we'll need to hear from God through the search process, obviously. We'll need to hear from God as never before as we, and this is what we're putting as a, as a banner over the next six weeks, as we seek guidance in a posture of repentance for the sake of deliverance. And that's we're going to see is right out of Scripture. It's a good part of what praying and fasting is all about. Seeking guidance in a posture of repentance for the sake of deliverance. In fact, we're going to see that the bottom line of Scripture's teaching on fasting and of what saints have seen down through the centuries is that fasting is the nuclear intensifier of prayer, as I've titled this message, because through fasting, power is perfected in weakness, as you'll see in your notes. It's right out of Scripture. We don't, we don't dare do what we'll be attempting to do over the next few weeks unprotected, without a covering. And so to undergird all that's going to be happening from what I say to what Session says to all sorts of other things, a week from Tuesday we'll be starting a 40-day period of praying and fasting together as a congregation. The EPC Book of Order encourages Sessions to call for, it says, special days of prayer and fasting when the need arises. So that's what we'll be doing. It'll be an empowering It'll be a covering under which a lot of other things will be happening. It'll be like raising Herman's barn because not one of you will have to do really all that much, not more than, say, 50 pounds. How so? What if I've never fasted before? Well, before we go to the scripture today, let me just say this. There are 120 meals over 40 days. Three times 40 is 120 as you'll see on the sign-up sheets that are next to the Connection uh, Center. And so to accomplish a 40-day congregational fast, all we need is for 120 of us to sign up for a single meal during that 40 days. Right? Or just 60 of us to fast for just two meals over that 40 days. Two times 60 is 120. Or 40 of us to fast a single day over the 40 days, or just seven of us to fast a week or whatever, as the Spirit leads. We can fill it up several times over. We'll break the fast on Sunday of our turkey dinner, actually the Saturday uh, before, uh, on November 23rd, and then on the 24th, our turkey dinner, we'll celebrate together. Next Sunday, Sunday of Advent, we'll be on the coattails of Advent into a whole new season. Lord willing. After a fast that can turn the body of Faith Church Loveland in all our diversity, in all our division, into that. We're going to come against the powers of darkness that according to Paul, uh, our struggle is really against and not against flesh and blood. And if you're anything like me, it's, it's easy to get confused about this and to forget about it as we point the finger at other people. And so all together, in the midst of working things out, we are going to target our true enemy. Now, you're probably thinking, we're going to turn into that? 
Where, where do you get that from? How do you know? Well, again, it begins in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 33, where he says, They said to him, The disciples of John often fast. This was the norm back then, often fast. Um, and offer prayers. And the disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. You're, you're, you're destroying the norm. How so? And Jesus said to them, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Then they will fast. He's saying, you better fast in my absence. This story is in each of uh, of the synoptic gospels. He repeats this simple command three times in Matthew and Mark and in Luke. He could hardly have been more clear with like threefold force. It's a uh, three-point sermon. Then they will fast, Matthew. Then they will fast, Mark. Then they will fast, Luke. He was talking about the attendance of the bridegroom here, the the disciples. And he said that he didn't expect the disciples to fast while he was with them. But once he was taken from them, then the norm would take over again what uh, John's disciples had been doing, what the Pharisees had been doing, and then they would do it. He's saying, these three years of my ministry are a very unique time in human history when the bridegroom is with them. And so I have suspended the normal practice of fasting, which we're going to see all through the Bible. But once I'm gone, then they're going to go back to doing it again. That's the biblical uh, exhortation. It's clear and it's unequivocal. But what's the explanation? Why was it the norm? Well, as I said, according to Scripture, the bottom line purpose of fasting is this. It's the nuclear uh, intensifier of prayer where God's power uh, is perfected through our weakness in a way that is like none other. And in particular, It's the nuclear intensifier, according to Scripture, of prayers for repentance, of prayers for guidance, and of prayers for deliverance. We see this all through the Scripture. If you were really uh, serious about repentance, for instance, you wouldn't just pray, you would also fast as you prayed. And there are so many examples of this. One of the most powerful prayers in the whole of of the Bible, for instance, is Daniel's prayer of repentance in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, if you'd turn there. Daniel 9 is a prayer that is so powerful. I don't know how many times I prayed it for this congregation or over this congregation and many other congregations. Some of you have too. It was a prayer that's so powerful because it was intensified with fasting in sackcloth and ashes. We know that because Daniel says in verse 3, I turn my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. This guy was intense. It wasn't just lip service. He was, you know, serious about repentance. With fasting and sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord my God. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. And he went on to pray a prayer that proves that fasting is the nuclear intensifier of prayer. I wish we had time to go through it all. It's a prayer that's for our country. It's a prayer that's for churches in our country. It's a prayer that may even be for us. Let's get a feel for the nuclear intensity that fasting brings to prayer through this one. Starting in verse 4, I'll just read some of it. Pray with me. Let me pray over this, this over us. Alas, O oh Lord, 
the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us open shame as this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. And on and on he goes. And you think, whoa. If you get into the spirit of this prayer, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. From his fasting. And that's what like, what, what's like, what your prayers are like when you fast in God's ears. It turns your very soul into an appeal, a prayer without ceasing, and your body. It's like David said, I humbled my soul with fasting. I wept in my soul with fasting. And God listens to that kind of prayer. In fact, in good part, as a result of Daniel's prayer and the fasting that went with it, God returned his people to the promised land after the Babylonian captivity, which had lasted 70 years, because he was also praying that that would happen. He saw that it was a time to happen. 70 years had passed, so he prayed that it would be brought about. And through his repentance came their deliverance as the means of God's power in his weakness. Why fast? Three reasons. First, it's the nuclear intensifier of prayers for repentance. Second, of prayers for guidance. Many examples. Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, as many of you know. And when his fast was complete, God gave him guidance as to what to do. He was desperate. Jezebel was out to murder him for fulfilling God's will. And so he went into the wilderness and prayed and fasted. God, you've got to do something. And, um, and, it, and God, in the end, gave him guidance that changed the world. In 2 Kings 19.5, it says, The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel king over Aram. And that impacted a whole nation. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And Elisha, you shall anoint as a prophet in your place. Well, guidance. After Paul was converted on the Damascus Road, it says in Acts 9 that, that, that for three days he was without sight and he neither ate nor drank. He was converted, but he immediately became desperate because he had lost his sight. And he knew about fasting, and so he was appealing to God. What do I do now? I've lost my sight. What do I do now? You've given me uh, now that I'm saved. He was fasting because he needed to see, not just physically, but practically what to do. And after three days, Ananias came in answer to his fast, and he laid hands on him and prayed for him, and he was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit who empowered and directed and illumined him uh, more than virtually any other Christian in the history of Christianity, and it all started with a fast. 
because it's the nuclear intensifier of prayer, not just for repentance, but also for guidance, and not just for guidance, but also for deliverance. It brings deliverance from the demonic powers that Paul says is our true enemy. And there are many examples of this in Scripture. And it looks like that. Christ said in Mark 9.29 that there are some demons, as some of you know, that only can come out by prayer and fasting. And he cast the demon out, which means he was fasting at the same time. From the very start, he made a practice of it. As we all know, he started his earthly ministry of the 40-day fast as the foundation. And among much else that happened as a result, God delivered him from some pretty extreme temptations. From the power of Satan. And so that's also a picture of Christ in the wilderness. It says in Daniel 10 that Daniel fasted for three entire weeks, he said. And at the end of the fast, an angel appeared to him and told him that he, had been, that he the angel, had been delayed for 21 days, same time period as the fast. Which, uh, and he said, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, he's talking about demonic powers up there, was withstanding me for 21 days. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. Then behold, said Michael, one of our chief princes, a principality of an angel, came to help me, for I had been left there alone with the principalities of Persia. The teaching of this passage is that God won um, that three-week battle in the heavenlies in good part thanks to Daniel's 21-day fast on earth. And that... Victory over Persia cleared the way for what then happened in Persia, for what happened through Cyrus, uh, the king of Persia, who Daniel served when, he, when Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to their homeland uh, and the Babylonian captivity came to an end. That deliverance came as a result of Daniel's fast of repentance. And so that's also Daniel up there in effect against the demonic principality that was over the power, the the nation of Persia. Reminds me of what one man said. Here, I love this. Here's what fasting uh, does. Uh, It's like a poem. He said, grant us the will to fashion as we feel. Grant us the strength to labor as we know. Grant us the purpose ribbed and edged with steel to strike the blow. And that's what we need to do. Through fasting, we're striking the blow against our true enemy. And by the way, the angel who broke through gave Daniel some incredible guidance too. He first tells Daniel about the deliverance that had happened in the heavenlies for three weeks as a result of the fast. And then he gives Daniel the revelation that he had also been praying and fasting for. He was pleading for God for guidance as to what the vision meant that he had seen. And so the angel said, Michael, uh, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And then he says this, now I have come to give you an understanding guidance of what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision that so perplexed you uh, pertains to the days yet future. So what happened here is just what we'll be doing. Daniel had been praying and fasting for guidance in a posture of, deliver, uh, of, uh, of repentance. 
And not only did he get the guidance he was asking for, there was great deliverance. Not only up there, but for the children of Israel as they return to their homeland. You see it all over the Bible. One of the greatest examples of this in all of Scripture is, well, a couple of them. Ezra 8, for instance, where they were about to make uh, uh, the perilous journey to Israel from Babylon. Remember that story? The captivity was being restored, uh, was being canceled, and it was a return uh, of uh, Israel from the captivity that Daniel's fasting helped make possible. It made, it made what Ezra was about to do possible. But the fasting didn't end with Daniel. Remember the story? It says in verse 21 of Ezra 8 that Ezra proclaimed a fast. There at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him from him a safe journey, our little ones and all our possessions. This isn't heavenly, heavenly deliverance. This is earthly deliverance. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter and he listened to our entreaty. It was the nuclear intensifier of prayer for deliverance. You'll find it all through Scripture. And I wish there were time to read the other passages. But not only all through Scripture, but all through the history of the church. It's the spiritual discipline of power perfected in weakness. It, it, one that both weakens us and weaponizes us. And it's time now to take the nuclear weapon out of our arsenal to nuke them. To bring to completion a great work that God is doing in our midst on a grassroots level and in other ways in a complete 40-day congregational time of praying and fasting. It will start a week from Tuesday uh, on October 15th and it will end the day before our Thanksgiving dinner our turkey dinner. And through it all, our prayer will be that by then we'll be able to put the past behind us and move on by six weeks from now through all that will be happening. As we pray for guidance in a posture of repentance, seeking his deliverance. Summary, well, simple. Bottom of your notes. When the bridegroom is taken away from them, fill in the blanks, four words, then they will fast. But do they? Do we fast? Or are you just sitting and soaking and waiting to see what's going to be happening? And whether it's going to be according to your liking. Or are you standing at a distance in judgment, shooting at the wrong enemy? If that's you, then, then, then you're part of the problem. And it's time to become part of the solution as we work all these things through and we need to do that. It's time to set our par- ourselves apart from the crowd because it's no different than in John Wesley's day 
He said, the reason why Christians in general do not live out their salvation is this. There is too much sleep, too much meat and drink. If that was true back then, how much more now? Too much meat and drink. Just watch the advertisements. As you watch TV, we are addicted to food. Too much meat and drink. Too little fasting and self-denial. Too much conversation with the world. Too much preaching and hearing. Are you just sitting and soaking? And too little self-examination, he says, and prayer. There are too many on all sides of this controversy who have a high opinion of their opinion. (laughs) I've gone through that myself since I've come here. I've gone through it before I came here. Some are proud that they have no opinion and that they're living above it all. What good does that do us? Though in many ways, it's it's good that you haven't been embroiled in the flesh, and so you've helped to some degree. But we need you to put your hand to the plow now. And so for this reason and many others, for 40 days, in fasting and self-denial, we will be in a posture of repentance. A posture of self-examination and prayer and not pointing the finger, as Wesley said. Seeking guidance, looking for deliverance. As you hear from me, as you'll hear from session in two two weeks from today in all three services, but most of all, as you hear from him. You'll be getting daily devotionals that will help you do that, that will keep us all on the same page. We'll be praying the same thing every day from the same passage of Scripture to strike the blow. And you'll also be getting... Uh, this pastoral letter to the FCC family on fasting that starts with a letter from the elders and from, from me, and it goes on to show the whys and the hows of fasting. It's out on the Connection Center table. You can pick it up today. We'll email it out uh, this week. And there will be much more. But little did we know, little do we as a church know these days the degree to which common people can attain uncommon results together in his power as we become like that. So my question is, would you lend a hand? Do something for just one meal that you've never maybe done before. This won't happen unless you do For 40 days, for 120 meals, this church will be in your hands and it's up to you as much as anyone else. For 40 days, 120 meals, we'll do some heavy lifting that can take this humble barn the last 143 feet up the incline to a new beginning. God's been in this in so many ways. I wish I could tell all the stories, but one of those ways is that not coincidentally today we come to the one, to the cross, to the one who did the heaviest lifting of all. 
It's like the poster I used to have. has Christ on the floor doing a push-up and there's a cross on his back. He's pushing it up and the poster says, bench press this. That's the heavy lifting that made all our lifting possible. We come to what makes possible his power through our weakness. We come today to the blood of Christ that unites us as neck, deeper than next of kin, as members of a forever family. And because of this blood, by comparison to what unites us in Christ, what divides us is trivial. It's not unimportant. We need to work it through, and we will be, but ultimately it's trivial. And without that perspective, we'll never work it through. And so in his providence, let's pray first and then we'll partake. Father, thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you for the power of the blood. Thank you for the power of the Savior to cleanse us from our sins and to lift us up to him. Thank you for the blood of Christ that unites us deeper than next of kin. We pray now that his power would be perfected in, his weakness, in our weakness as we come to you in repentance for what nailed you to the cross. Pray that your Holy Spirit now would convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment as he came to do. And then fill us with your grace and your mercy and your power because of what Christ did. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What we've done today, Paul sums up the net effect that it can have on us in the book of Romans, chapter 5, therefore, where he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, by the blood of Christ, we have peace with God. No care compares to what we've been spared. We have peace with God. And that can inform all of who we are and all of what we do, even in our worst divisions. And I believe that will inform what happens over the next six weeks. It means that right now, if you'd all stand, you can go into the world in peace under all that happens. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and through us all. Amen.